I'm Talib Bizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we're checking in on the performing arts scene. We'll hear how one actor has stayed creative during quarantine and how Shakespeare in the Park is still putting on a play despite the theatre being closed to the public. This is your Fast Break. Probably most well-known for his roles in Pitch Perfect and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, my first guest was also part of the original cast of the Broadway production of Spring Awakening. His most recent role is as Max in the NBC musical dramedy Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Lately, though, he's been doing what most actors have been doing, staying home. Here to tell us how he's been keeping busy while sheltering in place is Skylar Aston. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Skylar. Thanks for having me, man. So at the beginning of the pandemic, film and TV productions were forced to shut down their operations. Uh, What was your first reaction when that happened? I was at this like gala for a theater company. And I remember it was kind of that moment. Oh, you know what it was? It was actually when the NBA was canceled. I was reading that. And like all anyone could talk about was like, is this like the last night of the world in a way (laughs) as we know it? Like, and it was really hitting us. And my dad actually was really on it from the jump, even so much that I was like, dad, I don't think it's as big of a deal as you're making it. And then when it became so undeniable, it's just like people slowly grasping like what we were in for. Right. It feels like a lifetime ago now. So Skylar, while you've been at home, you started an impromptu Instagram series that you call Home Keys, where you play popular songs on the piano while singing along. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about how you got started with that? Yeah, well, I was actually on a phone call with this director, Bobby Longbottom, who directed me into the woods at the Hollywood Bowl a year ago now. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking about this time and how it was. He was in New York, cooped up in an apartment, just being like, it's so tragic. And I was talking about music and, and productions and theater. And I talked about the song Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka. And I was just like, I just love that song. And I He's like, oh, and he's such like a fan and such a supporter. He's like, that would sound so lovely on your voice. The world needs to hear that. <laughs> I was like, well, and so I like looked it up unscribed and I recorded myself singing it. And I actually sent it just to my family and they were like, oh, you should really put that up. So I put it up and I've sang on Instagram before, but then I was like, you know what? If this is like therapeutic for me, it's like a fun little exercise. And I knew when I, when it would become like overwhelming or it was like stopped being like the thing I was wanting to do when I woke up, I would just stop doing it mm. and, and revisit it. But I did like one a day at least for months. In one of your videos in particular, you stopped playing and started talking to your audience about your creative process. Um, how has this project given you some opportunities to explore that kind of creativity that you might not have had during normal times? That's absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm never home and um, I've been able to play my childhood piano that I had shipped out here from New York. I've been able to play this more during this time than I have in decades. And like, being able to revisit old books and then just mash it up with something that I recorded yesterday or, or, you know, the day before. And like these chord progressions that were just like weirdly synchronizing. And I don't know, just was getting my creative juices flowing so much that I started writing some new songs and 
um, reconnected with an old friend, Eric, who um, had a couple like really cool produced like beats, I guess you would call them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I kind of married some with some songs I was kicking around and then we wrote some fresh ones, just us um, yeah, as recently as this weekend. So, you know, it, it really got me going. And now I'm just kind of developing things like that. And then even some non-scripted stuff, a movie, a children's book that I wrote based on this squirrels situation I got going on here. So like, weirdly enough, just that music kind of like got me going, just got, you know, because I feel like people feel obligated to be productive during this time. And all of my writing and my developments and even that little series came from within. And I always encourage that in like writers and creators. I saw that you wrote uh, a new song called Stay Home. Can you talk about that and some of the other writing projects that you mentioned? Yeah, so that was, uh, that just like flew out of me. It was really when like people were still, I mean, it's sad to think people are still kind of denying what's going on right now, yeah. which is really sad. But, um, but at that time, like the hashtag stay home was like a really, that was like a thing early on in this pandemic. And sometimes I, I just, hit like a hook or something. And I think I had the, I think I had the chorus, the, um, hold on, I could bring this to the, the piano, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. And that just kind of flew out of me in like an hour. And, um, and now I've actually recorded it in more studio album version of it actually. And now it sounds like a different song, but that'll probably, you know. So you can let me have my car, I won't take it very far. I will wait this hour without a doubt, got to stay home. By the way, my, my life is totally crossing. My squirrel right now is by the window. If this was our only video podcast listening. <laughs> So that's great. Well, at least so, you know you have an audience. Exactly, and that's just more of a singer-songwriter, like the unplugged version of that. That's how that would sound. But the, the the studio version is very different. Well, that's great. Thanks for giving us a little bit of a snippet there. Yeah. Well, that's the luxury again of me being able to not be in your studio, but actually be in my own house where I have my piano steps away. That's true. Yeah, we can't afford a piano <laughs> in our studio. <laughs> Because of this new ability, I discovered that my best friend is in love with me. I'm a sucker for you. It's true. I'm a sucker for you. What? Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist premieres January 7th on NBC. So, Skylar, uh, NBC has ordered another season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. How are you preparing to get back into that sphere when this is all... Uh, over with the special health protocols in place. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that it seems like it won't be over when we're shooting or when we're projected to shoot. So that's just a whole mind screw. I mean, I just like, you know, quarantining and all that stuff and shooting things differently and we can't do group numbers or whatever. But I am very excited creatively. Like I've spoke to the writer's room now and I've spoken to Austin. Personally, I've heard like some stuff that they have in, in mind for Max and it's so exciting. So I'm like, once we're out there and everyone's quarantined and figured out and hopefully everyone can stay healthy, like, yeah, I mean, the show's gonna be incredible. Like we're coming to play. We did like a Q&A with the whole cast yesterday 
on a Zoom thing. And, you know, we all are just buzzing all the time whenever we're just like in each other's presence, even through screens. So it's a very special group. So if I got to be stuck somewhere with a group, it would be this one. Well, I'm excited for more content because I feel like we're going to run out soon. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing, like we're part of that entertainment sphere and like who doesn't want a vaccine yesterday and hopefully that could happen at some point. But uh, Vancouver, I guess, is a little further along than us. So we'll see what happens. So Skylar, uh, Emmy nominations will be announced in a few weeks and you've been submitted for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. So first off, congrats. And how are you feeling about that? Um, I'm honored. I, I, I would love to be recognized for my work. I love this show and I love Max and like we worked really hard to give him, give him his own little story and to kind of mature him throughout season one. And I know where we're headed in season two and it's going to go even deeper, but I think that Max had some spectacular moments this season, uh, in particular that episode six when he sings 500 miles and just kind of steps up to the plate and we get to see Max really out of the office and caring for Zoe in a deeper way. It was romantic and it was fun to play and it was fun to shoot. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. Awesome. And just looking forward, what can we expect to see or hear from you in the future? My album, I think, has so far, like there's a kind of unplugged acoustic Justin Bieber sounding bop that I really enjoy. I'm doing like kind of a Bruno Mars-ish kind of a sound with this song that I'm developing now. Oh, a song that I'm recording this weekend that sounds like The Weeknd. <laughs> it sounds like The Weeknd. Oh, like a Shawn mendez kind of a song too that I've already recorded. And then Stay Home is its own thing. The production is just like kind of fun and clappy. And there's like kind of a gang vocals there. So I guess this is all to say top 40 kind of sound, you know, once I start putting things out maybe in the fall. And then on the show, I think the sky's the limit. I think like any genre, I have so many artists I want to cover. I'm hopeful that maybe like they can all cross paths. I would like one of my songs to end up on the show, whether it's deep in the background of Moe's DJing and it's just one of my samples. I think that that would be great. I don't put it out of the realm of tone of our show to do something like that. Because I would like to also do mashups on Zoe's as well. I think that'd be cool. Ah, That would be very cool. Are there any uh, artists that you can name that you'd like to cover soon? Oh my gosh, so many, so many artists. Uh, I did a literal, you know what, let me pull up my own Instagram and maybe if you could hear the audio of me. Okay, who do I? Oh, of course I don't have service. I want to say Gaga, Florence. I want to sing Maroon 5. Maroon 5. Sam Smith. The Weeknd. I want to sing Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross. Okay. Stevie Wonder. Another big boy band number. Oh, yeah. I want to do like a big boy band number like each year. Like I think that'd be great since I did like NSYNC. But yeah, so many people. Amy Winehouse. Like there's just a million. It's just got to fit the moment narratively. And then they know that whatever they give me, I'm ready to do. Great. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show, Skylar. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll be right back after this short break. When New York went into lockdown mode, theatre companies were especially hard hit. No gatherings over 500 people and closures of non-essential businesses effectively upended one of New York City's biggest industries. In place of live performances, companies have released videos of taped play readings and excerpts from musicals, like Six about Henry VIII's wives, which was slated to open the same day the shutdown went into effect. 
Broadway is not set to reopen until early next year, but that doesn't mean all performances have been cancelled. Joining me today to talk more about this are Shanta Thaik, Senior Director of Artistic Programs at the Public Theatre, and Executive Producer Elliot Forrest from WNYC. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm really excited to have you both here. I like to think I'm a bit of a Shakespeare fanboy, and not just because I'm English. <laughs> First off, for those who might not be familiar with it, what is free Shakespeare in the Park on a regular year? Yeah, I would say, you know, the name really does say it all. It is free. It is Shakespeare and it is in the park. In this case, it is typically in Central Park in the beautiful Delacorte Theater. It is truly one of the most magnificent theaters on the planet, in my humble opinion. And it plays host to two to three Shakespeare productions, all of various size and scale, and is open for free to anyone in New York City to come enjoy it every year. And we started 58 years ago by Joseph Papp, and it's just one of New York City's best traditions. Sure. Well, I can attest to the beauty. I saw Twelfth Night there a couple of years ago. Ah, gorgeous production. Yeah. Shanta, can you tell us how the public came to re-envision Shakespeare in the park? I guess Shakespeare not in the park, in light of the theater closures caused by the pandemic. Yeah, we, you know, I think like all of us in New York in particular, at the time that COVID really started affecting all of us, that was really the hardest thing to think about was the idea that we might have to cancel Shakespeare in the park because what it means to us not just as productions, but what it really means to the heart of the institution and how so much of the mission, the vision, and the values of what is the public theater really are manifest through what we do in the summer. And it just feels like the clearest way that we can serve the city of New York. So we knew we wanted to continue it in some way. And we really made a point to go out to partners that we thought really shared the same sense of connection to the city and the city's stories. So that meant we were spending time really talking to public television, public radio, and public libraries and public parks, a lot of whom we have partnerships with already. And what came back to us after we announced that we were canceling Shakespeare in the Park officially, the first thing that people would say to us when we picked up the call was just this immense grieving and sense of loss that Shakespeare in the Park wasn't happening. And so we knew we just had to had to meet that. And luckily, we had already been in conversation with Elliot and the folks at WNYC. So this just felt like kind of a perfect moment to come together. And we really, it was clear that we also shared a lot of these values around how to, what are the stories of New York City, how to hold those up in this time and how to offer a reflection of what's happening now, but also a sense of what is this great tradition of gathering together and listening to these beautiful stories. Sure. And Elliot, can you describe your role and how WNYC became involved in the project? I had gone to my bosses at New York Public Radio, both WNYC and WQXR, pre-COVID. This was uh, 2019. This was somewhere around November and laid out for them that both WNYC and WQXR have a glorious history of doing radio dramas. We just aren't doing them right now. 
And were they interested in uh, reintroducing radio dramas into the portfolio of New York Public Radio? And they gave me their blessing. So I started to talk to a number of theater companies. First on the list were some of my dear friends that I've known for a very long time at the public theater. So we were already in conversations about different ideas of how to marry public radio and public theater. Sounds like a thing, right? It's just made in heaven. <laughs> right, exactly. And then the lockdown happened. And then we were all quarantined and we were home. And I thought, well, let's pick this back up again and see where we are. And it was literally the week before they were to announce that Shakespeare in the Park was going to be canceled. And we at Public Radio said, well, let's do that. Let's record this. As Shanta said, um, Joseph Pat created this gift of free Shakespeare in the Park 58 years ago. And uh, if there was anything we could do to make sure that that was uninterrupted, we were going to do it. And it's been an incredible experience because it's mostly the same cast that would have done it in the park. So we've just moved it to radio. Shanta, I'm just curious, did you ever think about having a visual element or was radio always the way to go? I think everything's on the table all the time. (laughs) (laughs) What is most important to us is the story and uh, the audience. And so however we can figure out the best match for the moment and the best partnership for those, I think In this case, we really, you know, when we started the conversation with WNYC, we were talking about the whole summer and we were supposed to do As You Like It and Richard II. Richard II is cast already, more or less. What of these feels like the right medium for this particular piece, for either piece? And it really felt like Richard II was very text heavy. A lot of the language conveys the story in a way that felt like it was really appropriate and could be made very magical by the incredible wizards at WNYC. And so it felt like, okay, we can bring what we have to bear on this and they can bring their ability to tell a story via audio in a way that's really going to serve this particular project most effectively. So the actors performed, that is to say, they recorded themselves performing Shakespeare's Richard II while protesters were marching across the country for racial justice. Despite me bragging about being a bit of a Shakespeare nerd, I'm not so familiar with the history plays. So what's the play about and how does it relate to what's going on in the U.S. today? It's the story of a king and the descent of a king. Perhaps it has parallels today. I'll leave that up to you. But the leader of this country thinks he was picked by God to rule the country. And by the end of it, he's not only out of office, he's lost his life. The cast is interesting in that it is predominantly people of color. It was set that way from the very beginning. And this play resonated more and more with the cast as we started into rehearsals. We started to look at the idea that this play is about a revolution, that the idea that people are not divine who run countries, they're just men and in some way, and women, and the transfer of power can happen if the people want it to happen. And uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the cast members? I I know you have a couple of prominent cast members. You want to take that, Shanta? (laughs) Well, the cast is incredible. The start of this project is really, you know, birthed from the mind of Andre Holland, who had wanted to play this role for a really long time. And it's just one of these incredible roles in Shakespeare. And I think that's the great thing about Shakespeare in any time, as Elliot is talking about, that it can really kind of map on to a story. There's a lot of room in there for people to 
have a full experience that feels totally different than any other time. Not that many people have seen Richard II before, but it will be fully of this moment and lived through the cast members. And I think Felicia Rashad, Andre Holland just added Lupita Nyong'o as the narrator. So, But every single cast member, I think, to a person brings such depth and their personal experience as a actor, as somebody working in theater at a time when that feels like an impossibility, as people of color, as Black artists, they're bringing all of that into the space. So I would have to list every single (laughs) actor, I think. Uh, And then, of course, led by Sahim Ali, just one of our great, great directors and interpreters of Shakespeare, but just an incredible director of new work as well. There are over 25 actors in this production. And uh, as we say, we really can't list all of them, but uh, it ranges from a child up to Estelle Parsons. Uh, These are really some of the best Shakespearean actors in the country. It's an extraordinary group of people that have come together for this. And I might add that we are going to provide the script on uh, the website for people to listen so that they can download and follow along if they want. That might be a better experience for them. Elliot, you've worked in radio for many years. How do you think the pandemic has affected the way people approach the medium? And how do you think radio theater might have a revival? I'm sort of thinking along the lines of like Orson Welles and War of the Worlds. Well, we know this from the numbers, to tell you the truth, is that once people were ensconced uh, during the quarantine, it's funny, there's a term out there called legacy media and um, all of a sudden, people were just listening to the radio a lot more. They were tuning into WNYC to get news. We know from the numbers that people were tuning into WQXR to, for solace and great classical music. So people started to really find those things that gave them comfort and familiarity. And radio was one of those things that people have turned to in the pandemic. Regarding radio dramas, there is a resurgence. As a matter of fact, uh, the term radio drama feels like something from the 50s, and I'm hearing more and more something called audio fiction. So it's like, okay, we're going to revamp it into audio fiction instead of radio dramas. But you know, it's probably apocryphal, but somebody had been listening to some radio drama that they'd already seen the movie of, and they asked which they liked better, and it was a young person, and they said, I like the radio drama, the pictures were better. (laughs) And the idea that the radio dramas really call up your imagination, there's a scene in our Richard II with 3,000 people in a stadium we can do that on stage, but you're going to believe you're there when you when you hear it on the radio. Shanta, the public theater calls itself theater of, by, and for the people. Can you tell us how it's invested in serving New York City through its partners and partnerships? Yeah, I would say the public has always been really rooted in what is relationship to the city. And that takes place in many different ways. We have a mobile unit, which takes you know, nine-person Shakespeare plays around the city to correctionals, to community centers, to the parks, to libraries. We have a Hunts Point program in the Bronx with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders doing full-length Shakespeare plays. Uh, They just did a fully digital, virtual, much ado about nothing that is something to behold. We really think about partnerships as it's a never a one and done when we're in a relationship. We're really, we really intend to be in it. So Elliot, that's a... <laughs> Hope so. I'm with you. Let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, for either or, or both of you, you know, what does this specific partnership mean for the future of your organizations? 
Well, I hope we get to do more. The public theater has been around for so long and has such a great legacy, and it just felt like the right partner for public radio. They tell so many stories. We tell a lot of stories. The marriage of the two, I think, I hope has a bright future. Oscar Eustace had said at the beginning of our partnership that they'll only go forward if the first thing you do in a partnership doesn't suck. So um, <laughs> I think we've done that. I, I hope that we continue. And I hope people really enjoy Richard II on the radio. Yeah, I think we would we would echo all of that. I think the the opportunity to work together is such a dream. And how all of New York City, you know, how can all of us really think differently about how we're serving our city in this time and really work together to do that because we can't do it alone. The needs are so different. They're so great. And it can feel really overwhelming to be working in our little silos. And I think the way that this city is going to heal is through our stories. And so I hope that we'll continue to, to tell those and amplify those in the year to come. What I hope, too, is that uh, audiences uh, gather their smart speakers or maybe their computers. And if they have one, a real radio and gather around in groups, socially distant if they can, and warm their hands on the radio and listen to a great story. That sounds really nice. I'm really excited to tune in. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Talib, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Talib. Not all the water in the rough, rude sea can wash the balm off from an anointed king. The breath of worldly men cannot depose the deputy elected by the Lord for every man that Bolingbroke hath pressed to lift shrewd steel against our golden crown. God, for his Richard, hath in heavenly pay a glorious angel. Richard II will be broadcast in four parts starting this evening through Thursday, July 16th. It'll be on every night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on WNYC. That's 93.9 FM and AM 820 for listeners in the New York tri-state area. It'll also stream nationwide at WNYC.org. On a sadder note, last week Broadway lost one of its members. Tony Award nominee Nick Cordero passed away from COVID-19. Along with his wife, many friends and colleagues shared their love and grief on social media. During his three-month battle, Cordero's former castmates rallied to support him. Here is the cast of Waitress singing one of his original songs, Live Your Life. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.